Welcome to another episode of The Gospelpreneur, where we explore Bible secrets to prospering in wealth, health, relationships, and faith. Your host, Brother Andre, digs deeply into biblical science and practical applications while encouraging growth in all areas of our lives. So if you're ready to grow, let's enjoy this journey to biblical abundance. Here's Brother Andre. Tonight, what we're going to do, we're going to do something special tonight. We're going to be looking uniquely at a story that most everybody has studied before, but we're going to use the lenses of the principles that we've covered in our Learning to Love God series and look at the story from that perspective. So there are, so, so far what we've covered, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11. So there are 11 key factors in learning to love God that we've covered so far. And then we have 12 and 13 uh, still ready to go. So we haven't covered those yet. But I thought it would be good to see the story and then take that same story. And after take, as we're taking that story, we begin to see the principles. So anytime we read a story or we look at conversion or how God is moving, We'll be able to see the principle and apply it um, in other stories as well. So I wanted to do it from that perspective. There's so many ways to be looking at scripture, perspectives to look at scripture. And I wanted to make sure that we covered uh, that today. So before we get started, because I am not smart enough or intelligent enough to communicate the realities of the gospel to you. I want to make sure that we pray uh, before we get started here. So let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, just want to thank you so much for your grace and mercy. I want to thank you, Lord, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. I want to thank you, Father, for the Holy Sabbath, the opportunity, Lord, to come aside and rest a while, not of our works, but resting in the reality of the gospel and in your dear son. We ask, Lord, that in these moments of time that we have together, uh, and as we have time throughout the Sabbath hours, as we contemplate you, we ask, Lord, that you manifest yourself to us. Give us wisdom, give us strength, give us clarity of thought and feeling, Lord, that at the end of the day, you will be glorified in all and you will save us from our wicked, unchristlike selves and help us to be a blessing to others. And as we're studying tonight, we just pray for more of you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So welcome. Welcome, Rachel. You guys know Rachel's all the way from Singapore. Uh, we we met so many moons ago when we traveled out there. And it seems this is my New Hampshire family right here on the line. I see you guys are here. But Rachel's all the way from Singapore. So I don't know. What time is it in Singapore, Rachel, right now? Throw that in the, throw that in the chat there. What time is it in, in Singapore right, right now? Because I am curious. I know it's Sabbath morning over there, I believe. 7 a.m. Okay, 7 a.m. So welcome, 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 welcome. Let's get ready to study. Again, this is a subject we've covered before. Uh, well, if you hung out with me long enough, you probably heard the sermon in a different way before. But I thought it would be necessary or insightful to look at it from the perspective of the principles that we've been laying out in our study for the past few weeks. 
So let's let's begin tonight. So our subject tonight, what we're going to be looking at tonight is broken but loved. Broken but loved. Now, I don't know about you, but I do know a little bit more about me than I know about you. I know that for me, God has seen me in my mess. And when I say my mess, I'm not talking about my mess from 5,000 years ago. You follow what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, how you've been in the church for so long and you, you realize back in the day you was a mess, right? That you, you didn't know Jesus. You needed to have your life converted. I'm not simply talking about that. I'm talking about the mess that is present. Now, if you don't know that you presently are a mess, then you really are a mess, <laughs> right? Like if, like if you don't know that you presently are a mess without Jesus, then you really are a mess. But God is present for our brokenness. Not like humans. Humans, when they see a brokenness, either they try to take advantage of it or they try to just dis, dismiss you or whatever the case may be. But when God sees our brokenness, this is his opportunity to engage because he sees and still loves all right but let's let's look at a couple of things i wanted to to put this statement out here as a umbrella as an umbrella so here's a, a statement that says the sanctuary is the key and again you, you'll see the practicalness of this in our practical study as we go through the verses in a moment but the subject of the sanctuary was the key, which unlocked the mystery of the disappointment of 1844. So if you're watching this for the first time, you're going to have a lot of questions in regards to, to this, this statement, 1844. Don't worry about it. But understand this. The sanctuary is the key that unlocks the mystery. Okay? It opened to view a complete system of truth, connected and harmonious, showing that God's hand had directed the great Advent movement and revealing present duty as it brought to light the position and work of his people. Again, given a framework for our study tonight. So the sanctuary is this key that unlocks a system that tells us what our present duty is, what our present responsibility, responsibility is. All right, let's go a little bit further with this. Notice this. The correct understanding of the ministration in the heavenly sanctuary is the foundation of our faith. Well, that's interesting. Again, in our next series, we're going to be going deep into the sanctuary. Like we're going to spend our time going through the process of it. Now, when I say deep, I don't mean so deep like the minutia of every color and all that, although we will cover that. What I mean is I want to go deeply into the person of Christ and his role in the sanctuary so we can understand how that works and we're gonna and you'll find that every subject that we cover whether it's learning to love god or whether it's bible prophecy or whether it's the sanctuary they all have the same um principles of truth uh, and it's it's phenomenal how connected they all are okay so the correct understanding so that means if there's a correct understanding there can be a a false understanding okay so the sanctuary is that key is that key now I love I love this little animation that I have found and how you know this key this unlocking and we're going to again look at some principal texts that begin to help us understand. So Psalm 77:13 says, 
Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? So God's way, his means of doing, how he operates, what he does. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Now notice Psalm 68, 24 says, They have seen thy goings, O God, even the goings of my God, my King, where? In the sanctuary. So I gave you those quotes to tell you that, you know, it's the foundation of our faith, the key to unlock. But here, these texts are saying the same thing. Like if you want to know God, if you want to know how he operates, if you want to know what he's doing, you need to look no further than the sanctuary. Because the sanctuary tells you what he is doing, how he is functioning, what he is in operation to fulfill in the plan of salvation. Pretty powerful. So let me pass that. So why slip? So I'm gonna we're gonna read some passages together. You have your Bible, open your Bible. We're gonna read some passages to, together in Psalms 73, verses 1 through 17. We're laying a principle here because we're going to be delving into a story very shortly and using the principles that we've been covering the past 12 weeks. So, or this is the 13th week, actually. So the past, yeah, the past 12 weeks, this being the 13th. So go to Psalms 73, Psalms 73, and we're looking at verses 1 through 17. Now pay attention. It says, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Well, that's interesting. God is good, but my feet almost slipped. Well, why would your feet slip? Why would you almost go out of the way? It says, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, this people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how have God, how they say, have God, how, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, and this is the question, verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. So let me pause for a second. Here the psalmist is reading and he comes down to this point and he's frustrated because what's happening is he's dedicated his life to being spiritual. He's dedicated his life to being um, living a righteous life, seeking after God. And he sees the wicked, and the wicked seem like they're getting away with murder. The wicked seem like they are prospering. 
The wicked seem like everything is going their way. So he's asking, have I cleansed my hands in vain? Have I lived a righteous life in vain? This is the question that if you're seeking to live a good life in this world, I know you would have asked that question at some point. Is my living in vain? Is my is my sacrifice to the most high in vain? And I promise you, my friends, this text has a wonderful response to your question. Notice here what the Bible says, verse 14. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. You know why I like the Psalms? Because the Psalms are honest. Like if David wants to burn somebody up, <laughs> if he wants his enemies destroyed, my man prays a real prayer. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he's not trying to coax it and make it sound better. He's like, Lord, my enemies are upon me. I would like you to destroy the enemies. If he's mad at God, he says, God, why have you forsaken me? You, you understand what I'm saying? Like there are, he's not holding back in how he's communicating with God. Here, he says, when I thought about this, when I thought about how my feet almost slipped, and my feet almost slipped because I had my eyes on the wrong thing. My feet almost slipped because I was watching the wrong person. My feet almost slipped because my eyes were fixed in the wrong place. And he said, it's almost too much for me until. Now, verse 17 has one of my favorite words in the Bible. There's probably top five word in the Bible. And one of the top five words is until. Notice, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. So he felt this way until, until what? Until he went into the sanctuary. If you take that same concept and he sees the goings of God and how God moves, then he says, okay, my feet are no longer slipping. I am on solid ground. I am not going anywhere. This is important. Now, sometimes I teach things that I know intellectually are true. Other times I teach things that I know that are experientially true. And in this case, what I'm reading in this text is both experiential and knowledge truth. It, it's almost like I have seen with my own eyes the reality of almost giving up, almost taking my eyes off the prize. In fact, for a moment, may, I may have even taken my eyes off the prize until I was reminded about the sanctuary, until I was reminded about how God moves and how he works and how he has me in mind as he's moving. You see, my friends, I just say to you, don't give up. Don't give up being honest with God. Don't give up living a life that is reflective of your of a relationship with him. Don't start focusing on the world and what's it getting away with and how this, this secret society might be doing this or this pope might be doing that or this apostate church might be doing that or that church member is doing this or this. You know, like if you get your eyes in the wrong place, you're going to find yourself outside and slipping and falling. And listen to me, my friends, it is, it is a reality. It is a reality that we do slip and fall. I'm going to, I'm going to, when we go through our study, study today and you begin to see the story in light of the principles we've been sharing, it should bring joy and hope to your heart.
It should bring courage to your soul to see how God works in our behalf. One more text, and then I believe we're going to go into our into our into our Bible story. So Psalms thirty-seven. Psalms thirty-seven has actually become one of my favorite uh, texts in Scripture uh, because what it has done, it has unlocked another view for God for me. Okay, enhancing this understanding of the sanctuary, and I can't wait till we get into the sanctuary at another time. But right now, just touching it. So Psalms thirty-seven, and look at verse twenty-eight. The Bible says, for the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. So what is God's emotional response to the judgment? Is it fear? Nope. Trepidation? Nope. What does God love? Judgment. You see, if God loves judgment, I want to love what God loves, right? (laughs) I want to love what God loves because if he loves judgment, there must be something in it that's actually good. Oftentimes when we think of judgment, we have this trepidation because we don't understand how good of news this is, that there is a judgment. It's excellent news. So I read it again. Psalms 37 verses 28 and 31 through 31. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. So why is that important? Because when it says the righteous shall inherit the land, so in judgment, God judges in favor of the righteous, and the promised land is given to the righteous. All right, watch this. It says, the mouth of the righteous, the righteous, the mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. Mm. The law of his God is in his heart, and none of his steps shall, what's it say? Slide. There is no slippage. When When the person understands the judgment, when the person understands what God is seeking to do, when he remembers the character of God and the foundation of God, then there is no slippage. But the slippage comes when our eyes are off of God, when our eyes are off of righteousness and holiness, when they are begin to focus either on ourselves or they focus on the imperfections of others, we will find ourselves slipping. So why do you slip? Your eyes are in the wrong place. You focus on the wrong thing. I'm focused on the wrong thing. So what, what must we do? We must get our eyes fixed, huh? <laughs> We must get our eyes fixed. We got to get our eyes fixed in the right place. Now, let's get to our story. John chapter 7. Let's go. Friends, I can't wait to get this study. I love this study. Every time I tell it, my heart jumps for joy. In John chapter 7, there is a great gathering that is taking place. And this great gathering has people from all over coming together. Because there's this opportunity for Jesus to do something special, but they don't know they're there for Jesus. What they are there for is there's several times out of the year, the men of the land had to come together and and worship. And this was one of those times. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, as everyone is gathered together for this great feast, (laughs) Jesus interrupts the party. Now let me let me let me describe to you what's going on in the, in this particular session. What's happening is there's there's this this particular thing that was done where 
there was water taken from a river in a, in a cup or whatnot, symbolizing the water that came from the rock that Moses spoke to or and also struck, right? So it's a symbol of this water of life. And this cup is being walked from one part of the nation to the other part of the nation, and it's a slow procession. This is something they, they had made up to do, right? And they're walking, and people are paying attention to them walking, and they're walking with this water. <laughs> and as they're walking with this water, and everyone's quiet and paying attention, this is what happens. In John chapter 7, and beginning, I want to say, I want to say verse number ah, 30. Hmm, where am I at? John, John 7. I have to do that. Let's make a Sabbath. And he said, and Jesus says, Okay, here it is. Yes, yes, yes. So John chapter 7, verse 37. Oof, I don't know where my eyes couldn't find it. It says, in the last day, the last day of the feast. Remember now on that last day, they're walking this water in this cup, and they're walking it across the, the, the nation real slow, all the way to the temple. Now watch what it says, John 7, verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, so it's quiet. Jesus stands in Christ saying, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow, what's it say? Rivers of living water. Boom. Jesus has, everyone's full attention now. <laughs> okay. At that moment in time, Jesus is now captured everyone's attention if you're thirsty he says come to me everybody's like what is happening right now think about it now it's like the great convocation the great gatherings of church is a solemn moment and somebody just yells out and says if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and i will give him out of his belly shall flow forth rivers of living water now, of course, after this great outburst, the religious people are gathering together. We need to do something about this man. <laughs> they have this meeting. Now, that's the day. That's the day before the story we're about to delve into. You don't want to miss. Listen, if you're watching this right now, you want to skip. I tell you, don't skip right now. You want to stay for this part. So Jesus, the very next day, remember now, he's caught the attention of everyone. So the very next day, Jesus in John chapter 8 is sitting in the temple early in the morning after he comes from the Mount of Olives when he had devotions and he comes and he's having time to teach. Now watch this, John 8. So he gathers the attention of John 7. John 8, he comes to the temple in the morning. People are gathering to him. He's got their attention. Now watch what he says in John 8, verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them okay keep it in mind i want you to get this picture get this picture so jesus is in the temple teaching a multitude of people there are a ton of people in this building pay attention 
It says in verse 3, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. All right, stay with, stay with me. So here is Jesus with a great multitude of people. He's already teaching. Now Jesus is being interrupted in a very strange way because he's in the temple. This woman is brought, thrown before his feet. We caught her in the very act. What are you about to do? Now, if you're going to understand this story, you got to understand who the depth of the characters are. So first and foremost, we have the congregation. We got people, right? We got the people. Secondly, what do we have? Hold on, hold on. Secondly, what do we have? We have Jesus. Well, he's not second. He's actually first, but we're, we're going to stay with Jesus. Now, who is Jesus? Throw it in the chat. Tell me, who, Je who is Jesus to you? Tell me who Jesus is. Throw it in the chat. I want our minds to expand on this because when our minds begin to expand on this story properly, we're going to see the sanctuary like we had never seen the sanctuary. So who is Jesus? Give me a give me a synopsis. Throw it in the chat. Who is Jesus? What is he? Who is he? Where is he from? <laughs> He's the Savior. He's the Savior. I know that's what you meant to type. Savior, right? He's the Savior. Who is Jesus, my friends? Type it in the chat. Who is he? Who is Jesus? God. Come on now. Somebody's speaking a word. He's God. So you have God teaching in the temple amongst the amongst the, the amongst the people. Said Ingrid said Ingrid's friend. Come on now, sis. He personalized that one. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> For sure. The Ingrid's friend. That's that's who Jesus is. Ingrid's friend. So Ingrid's friend is sitting in the temple, and Ingrid's friend, I like that. I, I really like that. That you know that changes the dynamic of the story? Andre's friend sitting in the temple. God sitting in the temple, and he's teaching a congregation, a multitude of individuals. And God is interrupted by mere mortals. Come on, nobody's nobody's paying attention. God is interrupted by mere mortals, and the mere mortals want to teach God a lesson. Now. Let me let me read something to you. I want to read a couple of Bible verses because I asked myself the question, who who is who is Jesus? So let's 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 make it plain. Let's make it plain, biblically plain. John chapter one. Go to John chapter one. We're having a Bible study. Go to John chapter one. And I want you to look at verses one through four. We're talking about who this is. Who is Jesus? John chapter one, verses one through four. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in, in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the light in this verse. Jesus is life in this verse. Jesus is the creator in this verse. Jesus is God in this verse. Jesus is the word. Just in John chapter 1, 1 through 4, we have this great expression of who God is. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14. Watch what the Bible says. The Bible says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt 
among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus is the word. Jesus is life. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the word made flesh. Who is Jesus? Come on now. In John chapter 1, verse 14, again, highlighting he is full of grace and he's full of truth. Not one or the other, but both. In John chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, no man have seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God. However, he is the son of God and he declares who the father is. Keep that in mind. Because now we're looking at this woman who's thrown in the midst of a people at the feet of God, made flesh, full of grace and truth, both the life and the light of the world. But, but, but we're not done. Second Corinthians, watch this, friends. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, chapter four, verse six. Second Corinthians, chapter four. In verse 6, watch what the Bible says. What, 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 what is it that we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6? The Bible says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. So what do we see in the face of Jesus Christ? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So when you see Jesus, you see God. When you see the person of Jesus acting, you see God himself acting. This is biblical. In fact, let's go a little bit further. Colossians. Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Again, this is expressing who Jesus is. Colossians chapter 1, actually, let's go to verse 13. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, the Bible says, Who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption. So who do we have redemption in? In his dear son, through his blood. Whose blood? His dear son's blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who's that? Who the, who's the forgiveness of sins in? In the son, in Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So who is this? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him, speaking of Jesus, should all the fullness dwell. Interesting. In him, who's him? Jesus. In Jesus, all the fullness of God dwells. So when I ask you, who is Jesus? When I say to you, when I say to you, who is Jesus? 
all these perspectives come to mind. All these aspects come to mind. He is our friend. He is the light. He is the life. He is God. He is the word. He is the word made flesh. He is in the bosom of the father. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the creator. There is, this is who they are throwing the woman in front of. And it's interesting, like if you, if you think about it, here are these human beings thinking they can put God in some form of judgment. I find it fascinating. But don't put it past yourself to think that you haven't done the same thing. I know I have. God, how come you did this? <laughs> not, not truly quizzical, but more so upset that God did it a certain way. <laughs> huh? You know, at this point in my in my experience on in life and watching humanity and seeing my brokenness, I I pretty much understand how self-justifying, confused, self-gratifying, self-centered, egotistical, limited humanity is, including myself, right? The audacity for these men to come and throw this woman in front of Jesus after the day before when Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me, right? But let's look a little, a little bit more. I, we need to ask another question. Another question we need to ask that I need to put before you. Here's the next question. Who are the accusers? Who are the accusers? These men that brought the woman before Jesus are Pharisees. These are religious leaders. These are scribes. These are people that posture themselves as teachers of the word and representatives of what the administration of heaven would be, right? But let's look at how the Bible describes these persons. Go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Look at this, friends. In Matthew chapter 7. And we're looking at verse 29. Matthew 7. In verse 29. Notice what the Bible says. In Matthew 7 and verse 29, the Bible says, For he taught them. Speaking of Jesus, right? For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And not as the scribes. So Jesus taught with authority, but the scribes didn't teach with authority. What is the opposite of teaching with authority? Like if you teach with authority, this is, this is in other words, this is truth. That's authority. It's, not, it's unquestioned. Like this is, the scribes are teaching with philosophical. This is a theory. You know, anything can be everything. That's how they were teaching. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, verse 2, look at what the Bible says. Again, speaking of these characters, Matthew chapter 23, and we're going to start at verse 2, but I want to read a whole bunch of things here. Watch this now. In Matthew 23 and verse 2, notice what the Bible says, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They sit in Moses' seat. Now, why is that important? Because now, again, we're, we're putting the characters together. We got Jesus, who is God. We got this congregation of people that are just the witnesses. You got this woman that has been caught in adultery. 
And these scribes and Pharisees have set this situation up for their own gain. Now notice, notice in Matthew chapter, I'm going to come back to this. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, notice how the Bible describes, the, again, the scribes and the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 14. Listen how the Bible describes the leadership. It says in Matthew 15, verse 14, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. So this is how this, Jesus is describing the leadership, blind leading the blind. In Matthew 23, notice again how Jesus is describing these characters. In Matthew 23, verses 16, the Bible says, Woe unto you, ye blind guides. You guys see that? Verse 17, ye fools and blind. Verse 19, ye fools and blind. Verse 24. Ye blind guides. Look and look at look at verse 26. Thou blind Pharisee. Mercy, friends. Mercy. You you know, you and I think of Jesus, and we always try to our best to see him as warm and cuddly. <laughs> I know I do. I want to see him as warm and cuddly, but sometimes there's something that riles jesus up listen to me carefully i i don't know who's going to watch this video i don't know who's going to see this in a later time but there's something that riles him up and that is those who profess to reflect him and represent him and in doing so hurt other people he has a problem with that and when I say hurt, I'm talking about intentional. I'm talking about these people who are neglecting biblical truth. They are walking outside of what God said to do. They are misrepresenting the character of God. They're lording their, their leadership and power over other people, manipulating them. That's whether it's in the home or whether it's in the church. And God has a problem because it's a misrepresentation of who he is. So he has a problem with it. And he gets upset about it. Blind guides. Hypocrites. Now, mind you, when he's saying these things, friends, Jesus is saying these things with tears in his voice. He's not just snapping off saying it. He's he's sad. He's broken that these people would so denigrate the character of God and misrepresent the character of God. So he comes real strong to those type of characters. So this is why we always have to do introspection for ourselves, right? Especially if we say we are believers in Christ. At that point, when you say you're a believer, you say you represent. Now, if you poorly represent, you need to assess, you know, what's going on, what's happening. Don't continue pridefully in your darkness. It's okay to be broken. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you, friends, that brokenness doesn't mean that you can't be with God. Brokenness is actually how God wants you to be so he can fix you. And many of us are broken. We just don't know it. We just don't know the extent of our brokenness, how far back it goes, how deep it is. Therefore, we keep hurting other people. I know I've hurt other people. It, it, it brings sadness to my heart to know that I've hurt other people. And I'm not saying hurt people's feelings when you tell the truth. I'm saying that you hurt people because you're selfish, right? You hurt people because you were neglectful. Yeah, that, it hurts my heart that I've hurt people in that way. So 
let's go a little bit further here. So I want to share something else with you. Hold on. Let me see. So the other part I want to share here is the other idea of this. So in this story, you have men who are supposed to represent God bringing someone to Jesus for the purpose of condemnation. <laughs> Y'all don't hear me. So we have people that are supposed to represent God, but they're bringing the woman to Jesus for the purpose of condemnation and to entrap Jesus. And I'll talk about the entrapment in a moment. But then I read another story. Yeah, I don't know if you thought of this. I thought of this uh, in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. We actually covered this when we talked about faith. But in that story, you have men who see their crippled, palsy friend, and instead they seek to bring him to Jesus, not for condemnation, but for healing. Are you following? So you have friends and you have accusers. Which one are you? When you're on your knees dealing with those who have come up against you, are you accusing or are you interceding for your, for your enemies? When you bring someone to Jesus, are you bringing them for the purpose of healing? But I tell you what, <laughs> I just thought about this. I tell you what, there's there's power because no matter for what reason, if you bring them to Jesus, Jesus is still going to deal with them the way they need to be dealt with. You understand? Whether you bring them to Jesus for condemnation or you bring them to Jesus because you want them to be healed, when they come to Jesus, Jesus is going to do a supernatural work one way or the other. Oh, man, that's that's a word right there. So, yeah, bring, bring, bring them to Jesus if you don't like them. That's fine. They might get converted. <laughs> huh? Let's let's talk about the accused. Let's talk about the accused for a moment. With the accused or the broken or the sick, the Pharisees throw the woman down, throw the woman down, caught in the act. What, what act is this? The act of adultery or fornication. She's caught in the very act. She's thrown in the midst of the people. It has to be embarrassing, don't you think? Are you seeing the story? Because I'm, 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 I'm playing the story in my mind. She's thrown in the midst of the people. I do not see this woman as fully covered, my friends. No. My imagination sees the woman. She's not fully clad. She's thrown in the midst of a bunch of people. You have the religious leaders there. You have the church folks there. And then you have Jesus there. But it's interesting because as you read the story, and we're going to go back here in a moment, in John chapter 8, go back to John chapter 8. Look at look at the story again. Look at this. In John chapter 8, it says, And the scribes, verse 3, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst. Did you guys see that? It's not like they took her and put her in the corner. Hey, Jesus, we got an issue we got to solve over here. They put her in the midst. They put her on blast. And we know that this was a setup because the man committed adultery too. Where is he at? Right? What was he doing? So they caught this woman in the act, throws her at the feet of Jesus in the midst of not just Jesus, but everyone else. But please understand. When you have an audience with Jesus, it's as if no one else is there. Come on now. It's as if no one else is there. And you're going to see how this works out here. The Bible says this now, and they said unto him, Master, this woman was caught, taken in adultery in the very act. 
Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? Now, my friends, these Pharisees were quite clever. <laughs> because if Jesus had said, yes, she should be stoned, then Jesus would have gotten in trouble with the Romans because the Romans were the ones that made the rules, right? So you can't be a Jew putting anyone to death. You didn't have the right to do that. So if he had said, yes, she should be, she should be put to death, then they would have been like, seize him, right? If Jesus had said, no, she should be forgiven, then they would have been like, see, he doesn't respect Moses' law. But Jesus is so smart. Oh, I wish, you know, I say I wish, but Jesus could walk with me every day, but I wish I was there. What I mean is not just there in that moment, but as he navigated, man, he he had to, he's just so smart as he's navigating how people are trying to entrap him and trick him. He's just, he's, he's brilliant. <laughs> Jesus is brilliant. So watch what he does. This they said, tempting him, verse 6, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Brilliant. Brilliant. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. You see how brilliant Jesus is? He's not answering yea or nay. He just said, okay, whoever is without sin in the group, feel free. You can go stone her. Now, I'm quite sure that woman froze up real hard. She heard that statement. She's like, all these holy men. She froze up. But these men come. They look at what Jesus is writing in the ground. They say, oh. <laughs> Jesus, what's Jesus writing in the ground, my friends? He's writing the name of the Pharisee and the sin that nobody knows about. He writes the name of the, and when he, when that Pharisee comes and sees his name and his sin, he drops his stone. Next one, name, sin, drops his stone. Name, sin, drops his stone. Name, sin, drops his stone. Starts at the oldest and goes to the youngest. Name, sin, Drops his stone. You think I made that up? It starts with the oldest and goes to the youngest? Look what the Bible says. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left, what's it say? Alone. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> it said he's standing alone. Friend, he's not alone because everybody's still in the room. That was the congregation. The, the class that he was teaching is still there. It wasn't, it, the class wasn't over. When it says that he was standing alone, it means that there was no one who could stand with him in condemnation for any sin. Only he, he, only he could. Come on now. Listen to me. Jesus alone could stand there. No other mortal could stand there. So tell me something. What stone do you have in your hand? What stone do you have in your hand? You hold a stone against your parents? A stone against your husband? 
You have a stone against your wife. You have a stone for your children. You have a stone for the church. You have a stone for that wicked neighbor. You have a stone. Listen, when I'm saying the stone, you think about where you stand when you know someone has done you wrong. Like, this is not a question whether or not the woman sinned. That's not a question. She was a sinner. She was caught in the act of sinning. Jesus was saying, look, whoever has never sinned, whoever is without fault, you have a right to throw the stone. And no one's left but him. He's standing there alone. Now, this is a hard saying for me. Because I've been done wrong. And I think I'll be right in doing justice and stoning persons who have done me wrong. I'm reminded of a verse, a passage that says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what, what am I going to do? I'm going to surrender my stone. Hear me now. We're doing like a, I don't know if you've ever seen like these new video games or these or these new camera angles where you do this whole panorama view. <laughs> We're going to do a whole panorama view of this story. We put ourselves as the people that are about to stone. We drop in our stones. We, do, we sit in condemnation of others who do not live up to what we think they should be living up to. At the same time, we have a blind eye to our own brokenness. And then when we realize the gravity of our brokenness, then we'd be like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be throwing those stones. Maybe I should be where that woman is. You see, these men made a mistake. Instead of walking out one by one, they should have all came and sat in the middle of the room just like the woman. They should have all come and sat down in the at the feet of the teacher. But they made the mistake of dropping the stone and then walking out the room. I say, my friends, let's not walk out the room. I say, let's stay in the room where Jesus is. He's the only one that has the solution to our problems. He's the only one that provides the healing that we need. So don't walk out the room. He comes in. He shows you your sin. Drop your stone and take a seat. <laughs> drop that stone, my friends. I promise you, if you drop the stone of the hatred that you have against that one that molested you when you were a child, your burden will be rolled away because you would have given that to Jesus to deal with. I'm telling you, if you drop that stone against the person that cheated on you, I promise you, if you give him the stone and you sit down at the feet of Jesus, then maybe Jesus can work a healing process in your life while he deals with this other person that did you wrong. You follow what I'm saying? If you have a problem with someone that has abused you and beat you and lied on you and stole from you, I say you have every right to be upset, but I say drop your stone, sit down at the feet of Jesus, let him heal your pain, your suffering. And in doing so, my friends, you will find relief in the gospel and you will let Jesus do your vengeance for you. Mm. Now, it's interesting in the story. Jesus is representing and I'm, let me put this here on the screen. The character of God. There's the glory of God. 
And the glory of God contains two major components, grace and truth. Remember we read in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the heart of God represented in the person. And the glory of God, you can find in the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus is simply, it's just talking about his character. His character. So when you see Jesus, you see the character of God. Now remember, I'm going to highlight something right now. Those of you who have been studying from the beginning, remember the first chapter of, or, or the first lesson that we covered? We talked about knowing, learning to love God, right? Learning to, learning to, learning to love God. And in learning to love him, in the first lesson, we talked about how do you see God's love? Well, we see God's love in scripture. We see God's love in nature. We see God's love in relationships. And ultimately, we see God's love in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. So what are we seeing right now, ultimately, with Jesus and this woman? We're seeing the ultimate demonstration of the love of God to a broken society that recognizes their condition. What, what was chapter two about? Chapter two was understanding your condition as a sinner. Because if you don't understand your condition as a sinner, you won't receive what the Most High is trying to provide. Now watch. After we covered knowing God and we covered the knowledge of oneself being a sinner, then we looked at repentance. And we said repentance is a gift of God. It is the goodness of God that leads a man or woman to repentance. That's what we saw. Now watch this. Watch this. We're, we're going to see the demonstration. We are already seeing the demonstration of the love of God in this story, but there's more. Watch. In John chapter 8, verse number 6. We read, this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Verse 7. So when they continued asking, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. Now, also, I just want to point out these slight changes in the story. You see verse 9 where it says, and the woman is standing in the midst. You see that? You, If you see verse 3, it says, and the Pharisees, the, the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set, set her in the midst. At one point she set. Next point, she's standing. Now, somebody can say, oh, maybe when it says set her, it means put her in the midst. But I want you to see that she's standing. It makes it very clear that she's standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself, verse 10, and saw none but the woman. Now, man, sometimes. Remember, friends, there's a whole bunch of people in the room still. The accusers are gone. But the congregation is still there. They're still observing what's happening. And Jesus in the verse says, and saw none but the woman. What does that mean? His focus and his intent 
was on that broken soul that was before him. We're talking about learning to love God. You know why I love God? Because this is a picture of God in the midst of our brokenness. This is a picture of God in the midst of our brokenness. It's not God standing over us saying, now you dumb knucklehead. You should have never did X, Y, Z. Now you deserve to be embarrassed by everybody here. You ain't should have never did that. It's not like that. It's like this. Jesus stood and he only saw the woman and he says unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Where are your accusers? Mm, mm, mm. Have no man condemned thee? Now, to me, I'm just like, look, okay, Jesus, I hear, I see you. I see, I see what you're doing. Tell me, friends, why does God ask questions? Does God ask questions because he don't know? He don't. He's like, I'm confused. We're having. Is he doing that? No. If God is asking a question, the intent of his question is not because he doesn't know. His question is designed to provoke you and I to think, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn thee? Come on, man. And she said, and she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Come on. Go and sin no more. There's so much weight there, friends. There's so much power. Neither do I condemn thee. Can you imagine? I want you to think about your life. Think about all the mess that you've been in. Think about all the lies that you told, all the cheating that you've done, all the backstabbing that you've done, all the laziness that you've done, all the wasted moments that you've had, all the wasted money that you've done, not the good parenting that you've done. I mean, if you start thinking about it, don't get too overwhelmed, but I want you to think about it and listen to these words. Neither do I condemn thee. Let me ask you. Do you see anything in the passage where the woman says, please forgive me? Do you see anything in the passage that she's crying out for forgiveness? You don't see anything here except that she's been thrown in the midst. She is accused. She's been caught red-handed. She is in sin. And God himself, before she even utters a phrase, says, where are your accusers? I don't condemn you. Now, go and sin no more. Now, my friends, if this was said to me and I didn't understand what the power of the word, because remember, we talked about faith in the word, right? So let, let me back up before I go any further. Let me back up. Let me back up. So we looked and we see step number one, the revelation of the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Check. The recognition of the woman herself being a sinner. Does she recognize that she's a sinner? Absolutely. There's no question she knows she's a sinner. Check. What do we see? Repentance. Well, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Do we see God being good here? Check. <laughs> Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, my friends, 
Let me let me read a couple of things to you here. If my computer wants to work, it doesn't want to work. Hold on. Okay. Let's see. Why is that not moving? One moment, friends. Okay. There we go. Hmm. Happened with the freezing of my computer screen. One moment, friends. My slides are frozen. So give me a second to figure out what's going on. All right. Let's see. Interesting. All right, give me a moment here. I'm not sure what's happened. Huh. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Hmm. All right, let's try again. I want to. I want to make sure. The whole screen just disappeared. Sure, it did. All right, one second here, fam. Let's see here. Clear the layer. Hmm. One momento. All right. Not sure what happened, but we are about to fix it right now. Huh. Still doesn't want to work. Well, don't know what to do about it. Let's do this. I'm going to let me do something a little different here. For some reason, my screen stopped doing the right thing. So I want to do that. All right. So let me go back to this idea of going and sending no more. Let's have, let's have a word of prayer as we keep this going. Let's, let's pray. Father, as we are about to continue on, we just ask for clarity of thought and feeling that the principles can be applied to our hearts and minds, that we may be able to reflect you properly in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So here it is. Grace and truth. Grace and truth, all equal the name, glory, and character of God. You can't have one without the other. And the woman has been caught in adultery, and God himself is represented here. God's character is revealed in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. The condition is exposed. The woman is caught red-handed, and a decision is made in John chapter 8, verses 6 through 9. What's the decision? What's the verdict in the judgment? Listen to me now. Remember, I told you to talk to you about the sanctuary, right? This is the this is the sanctuary live. Jesus in action. It's live. Let me read this to you. It says, this was to her the beginning of a new life. When he said, go and sin no more, it was the beginning of a new life, a life of purity and peace devoted to God. In the uplifting of this fallen soul, 
Jesus performed a greater miracle than in healing the most grievous physical disease. He cured the spiritual malady, which is unto death everlasting. This penitent woman became one of his most steadfast followers with self-sacrificing love and devotion. She showed her gratitude for his forgiving mercy. You see how it works? It's not like we resolve to do right before God expresses his forgiveness to us. He expresses his posture. I don't condemn you either. I'm not holding this against you either. Go and sin no more. I don't hold this against you is empowering. I don't condemn you is empowering. For this erring woman, the world had only contempt and scorn. But the sinless one pitied her weakness and reached to her a helping hand. Oh, friends, while the hypocritical Pharisees denounced, Jesus bade her go and sin no more. Now, friends, if you if if God said go and sin no more and you didn't understand fully how that worked, that would be a daunting task. But I'm going to give you a Bible story to help you understand how this works. In Genesis chapter 17, these this is verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. And Abraham was 90 years old and 9. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Please note that God introduces himself as almighty, not because he's bragging, but because when he says his name, he's introducing himself as the solution to the next statement that he's going to make. Watch what he says. I am almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Do you see that? The next statement is, is an impossible statement, but it's only impossible if you're depending upon yourself. The next statement is an impossible statement unless you understand who's the one making the statement. The Bible says, God says, he is the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So when he says to the woman, go and sin no more, he's not asking that woman to do that in and of herself. Not at all. Not at all. What is he saying? Notice this. Friends, I get excited. Every time I read this quote, it is phenomenal. The heavenly intelligences will work with the human agent who seeks with determined faith that perfection of character which will reach out to perfection and action. Now, please, don't get perfection and action confused with perfectionism. Again, we'll talk about that in a moment. To everyone engaged in this work, Christ says, I am at your right hand to help you. I want you to contemplate the phrases that we've been sharing. Uh, 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 you know, like the phrase, neither do I condemn thee. I am at your right hand to help you. You understand what I'm saying? Like these are God's, this is God's posture towards those who recognize their need. Amazing. Phenomenal. Phenomenal, friends. Notice. It says, as the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it, meaning the will, becomes omnipotent. What does omnipotent mean? 
It means all powerful. The will, when it's placed on the side of God's will, becomes all powerful. Then this, then this statement says, whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his strength. All his biddings are enablings. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. All his biddings are enablings. You and I don't have to do anything on our own. It's not left to us to figure things out. Does that make sense? It's not left to us to figure things out. Not at all. It is up to us to lean upon his declaration, which then empowers us to live a life that we normally would not be able to live. It does not come natural. Holiness is from the Holy One who then empowers holiness inside of us. So all his biddings are his enablings. He does not leave us to ourselves. I love that. He is the Holy One of Israel. God Almighty, everlasting King, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy is his name. He is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures through all generations. So when I come to him, I, I am responding to his love towards me. For I know the thoughts that I think towards thee, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. This is God's posture towards the broken. You see, my friends, let me tell you something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be 1,000% transparent right now. It is hard to forgive other people for doing you wrong, especially if they didn't ask for forgiveness. You say, Andre, if they don't ask for forgiveness, are you supposed to forgive them? The posture of your heart towards them should be a posture of forgiveness because if they come and ask for it, it should be available. Am I right? So if the posture of your heart towards the person that's done you wrong is the posture of forgiveness, then when they come, you can then provide. But it's hard to forgive. And I just, I mean, I'm realizing this more even as I'm talking to you because I'm dealing with a present issue. And I'm saying, you know why it's hard for me to forgive? Because I have not focused my attention on what God has already forgiven me for. And I have not focused my attention on how God functions and operates. So it's hard for me to forgive somebody who does me wrong. How can you follow the injunction of scripture where it says, do good to them that persecute you and despitefully use you? How can you follow the scripture that says, if they smite you in one cheek, turn the other cheek also? If they take your cloak, if they take your coat, give you your cloak also. If they tell you to walk a mile, then walk too. You know, like these, this language and this idea and this philosophy is it's foreign to the human heart because the heart wants what it wants when it wants it. And if you cross it, I'm going to punish you for it. That's the heart. But that's not the heart of God. He sees our condition. 
He sees our sin. It's interesting. He writes it in the sand so he can erase it. <laughs> it's not like he wrote the law. When he wrote the law, it was written in the heart. I mean, in the stone, it, it could not be erased, you know? So my thought towards you, my, my challenge to you tonight, as you see the person of Christ, as you, as you see the person of God in the person of Christ, and you see the grace that is available and how he deals with humanity, will you allow him to heal you from the wounds and the betrayals and the, the hardness of your heart that you've received over time because folks have been so wrong to you? Will you let him heal you from your pain? and bring life to you <laughs> without allow him to bring life to me. Oh, that's a hard one, friends. My mind says the heart is willing, the mind is willing, flesh is weak. But I like to pray this prayer. Father, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me from myself my weak unchristlike self and raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich currents of your love may truly flow through my soul father help me to drop the rock help me to fall upon the rock jesus christ lord help me to drop the rock of condemnation and fault finding and bitterness and anger help me to drop those rocks father and help me to fall upon the rock jesus christ the righteous help me to lean one thousand percent into the grace that you've provided help my friends who are listening to fall on the rock jesus and receive in fullness what god has provided for us the full healing lord that you desire to give us, Lord, please. We are broken people, hurting other people because we don't know you. We know doctrine, we know information, but we don't know you. So please help me, Father, and help my friends, and help those who are listening, that we may fully walk in the grace that you've provided. And when you declare to us, Go and sin no more. Help us to believe your word over how we feel. Please, Lord. Thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, if you understood our study tonight, just type in the chat, amen. Type in the chat, amen, if you understood our study tonight. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I encourage you, as it is the Holy Sabbath, take the time, commune with God and commune with your heart. Make sure that you're not hiding anything from him. There's no reason to hide anything. There's no reason to keep any stones in your hand. You know what I mean? There's no reason. There's no reason. He, like, he knows everything anyway, right? So just tell him the truth. <laughs> Give him everything. And watch God do a miracle of grace in our hearts 
towards the people that have done us wrong, that we can really look at them and still love them. And still love them. Yeah, it's definitely hard. But it becomes easier when you begin to look and behold Jesus. And when you behold him and you allow him to take that anger and that frustration and you give it to him, give him permission to have it, then that's when that burden becomes light. Now you're not walking around with that hatred and bitterness in your heart. Now you can really look at the person and be like, you know what? I really do love you. I really do love you. May God's grace work upon us that we may reflect the reality of this in our own experience. Pray for me. I'm praying for you guys. God bless you. And a happy, 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 happy Sabbath. This concludes another episode of The Gospelpreneur. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends so we can all grow together. Until next time, be the abundance and be blessed.